It really doesn't matter whether you're born in a hut, a mansion, or stable. When you give your life to Christ, He's the one that makes everything possible in there. And it was exciting in there. And as we got closer to the Bagat, you know, the river, the uh, river that the missionaries traveled for 25 years, I said, God, you could have drowned every one of them, and Wycliffe would never have sent any more missionaries to the village. What would you do if you moved to another country? A land that didn't speak your language. People that did not know the salvation that you enjoy through Jesus Christ did not have the Word of God in a language that they could understand. How would you communicate with them? It would be pretty difficult, I would think. Well, today we're going to talk to a Bible translator with Wycliffe Bible Translation Ministries. It's exciting work that Wycliffe has been doing for many years to go into what we would say unreached people groups who do not have God's Word in their hand. And it is exciting to see through the translation work that they do by spending countless hours and hours spending time with people, learning their culture, learning their language, finding a way to even sometimes put their language into a, a written form. There's language people groups, it's hard to believe that don't even have their language in a written form. Well, today we're going to talk with Nard Pugial. Nard, I want to welcome you to Mid-South Viewpoint and our Bot Radio Network family. Well, thank you very much, Byron. And let me just correct uh, one thing in there. Uh, I am not a Bible translator, but... You're with a ministry that does translation work, Wycliffe. Now, we're going to get real specific. You're a pilot. You fly helicopters. You fly airplanes. You're a very strategic part of the ministry of Wycliffe called JARS. JARS stands for what, Nard? JARS stands for Jungle Aviation and Radio Service. JARS is the... Uh, support arm and technical support arm of Wycliffe Bible Translators. Thank you so very much for letting me uh, speak to you all and uh, have this interview, in there, and I look forward to, uh, to talking to you because I'm really a product of what missionary work is all about. Is I met Jesus Christ as a result of Bible translation work. I'm glad to have you, Nard, here on our program. As I told you before, I lived on the island of Guam for a few years. That's been about 10 years ago. But during that time, I had many Filipino friends. So it's exciting to talk about some of the foods. We were talking about panzit, which is one of the dishes I love from your homeland. The other one we mentioned, lumpia. That's really my favorite. Lumpia is my favorite. Did you ever try balut? I don't know if I've tried that or not. Balut is fertilized duck egg, you know. And they a fertilized duck food. egg. Well, I'll tell you what, that sounds like it's delicious. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, don't eat balut because I don't believe in duck abortion, you know. Uh, you're true to the calls then. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, Nart, you actually grew up in the Philippines. I grew up in northern jungles of the Philippines. In fact, today we still don't have electricity running water or roads where I grew up. It's in a way up northern part of the Philippines. Oftentimes when we say the Philippines, we think of Manila, which is a thriving city and metropolitan area, commerce going on, buildings, and a lot of activity. But uh, you're talking about a very remote area of the Philippines. That's right. Yeah, way up northern part of the Philippines in there. You go to the end of the road, and then you still have to travel three hours by canoe going up to where I grew up. Or you can... You can fly. We built an airstrip in my village of Tibagat, and it's about 600 feet long and 60 feet wide, so we fly airplanes in there. Well, Nard, what was life like growing up for you in that village? Well, one of the things that we did, we worshiped the spirit world, and uh, somebody gets sick, you call the witch doctor to come and appease the spirit somehow. We sacrificed to them, and so we were in fear all the time. Now, when you said sacrifice, Nard, what do you mean by sacrificed? 
Well, sacrifice it like we sacrifice pigs, chickens, dogs, cows, plus the spirit world wanted our total allegiance to them. You know, the Bible talks about that, that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in the heavenly host. So you're and, talking uh, about a, a real world. You know, sometimes Hollywood makes movies about things like that, and, you know, we kind of go and maybe get scared a little bit, laugh a little bit, but you're talking about something real here. It is really real and very, very real. And uh, Jesus in his day, he cast out demons in his day, too. And they are very real, real in the jungles where I grew up and real in America where we live. They're really real. People sometimes they say, oh, yeah, it's just a figment of your imagination. But, you know, when you're right in it and it's a reality and uh, there's nothing else you could do when they want your life, it's really kind of a you're at their mercy and stuff like that. But. I found out that the power of the Word of God is so awesome. And that's something I want to talk to you about, Nerd, is how you even found that out, living in this very remote area, worshiping these, these spirits and, and sacrificing these animals to these spirits and living in a, a very different world that our listeners might be familiar with. The Bible says in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. How did that message reach you in such a remote area? It's really kind of a neat thing because God orchestrated all the details on that one there. And I tell people that in 1949, I was being formed in my mother's womb. And at the same time, a young man by the name of G. Richard Rowe went down to Schoon Lake, New York, to attend Word of Life Camp International. Jack Wurtson, the founder of that uh, Word of Life International in there, was speaking at that camp and gave the message and gave the invitation. And Richard Rowe, at age 18 was one of the first ones to walk that aisle, giving his heart to Jesus Christ to serve him in missions. And you know, when I think about that, I always tell people, I said, it's awesome to know that while God was still forming me in my mother's womb, inside the little hut, underneath some coconut groves in the northern jungles of the Philippines, God was also speaking to the heart of that person who would travel halfway around the world to come and introduce me to the person of Jesus Christ. To me, that's an awesome God. So this guy went on to uh, Wheaton College and majored in anthropology because he wanted to become a Bible translator. Because back then, in the early 40s, 50s, and so on, there were 3,000-some languages on earth who have never heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even today, we have 2,200 languages we still need to reach. This guy graduated in 1953, and that was a special year for me, because in 1953, Wycliffe Bible translators were invited to come to the Philippines by the president of the Philippines, Ramon Magsaysay. And so Mr. Townsend, the founder of Wycliffe, was down in Mexico. He sent one of his people to the Philippines in there. They signed a contract with the Philippine government the 28th of February, 1953. And Bible translation work started in the Philippines, and I was growing up in the northern jungles waiting to hear about the God of heaven and earth. My goodness. Well, you know, Nard, I met a missionary at a conference one time who worked with a Bible translation ministry, and I don't remember if it was Wycliffe. Actually, it might have been, but she had been in a very remote area in Indonesia, spent some 30 years of her life working among this particular people group and working in translation to translate the New Testament. And she finally, after 30 years of labor, of living among these people, bringing the Word of God to these dear people in the language that they could understand and print that they could read, they showed video of the planes, and it very well could have been a, a jars plane yeah. flying in boxes of these Bibles. They had just were printed. They were coming in for the first time. And to see these people receive 
God's word for them. You know, Nard, I'm ashamed to say I have several Bibles in my home, not only my own personal copies, my children and my wife. We all have multiple copies of the word of God, different versions that we can read. And here's a people that have lived for how long and have never seen God's word where they could be able to read and understand. And here, after 30 years, somebody was willing to sacrifice, make a commitment to live among the people, translate the work. So I can't help but think that you had some similar feelings when you, for the first time, saw God's Word in your language. Oh, it is exciting in there. When this missionary came in 56, I was seven years old. I was just starting first grade and uh, flunked out of first grade. Because we didn't have any written language in there. We didn't have a written alphabet and didn't have any books, so I skipped school for three months and flunked out of first grade. But this missionary and his partners in there learned our language, wrote our alphabet, wrote some books in there, and then uh, went back to start school again. And uh, it was awesome to see that books were available. So the translation work for your people group actually began somewhere around the late 1950s. Yeah, uh, con- 56 to be right, exact. Continued right. in 1971, but it wasn't until the early 1980s before you actually had a copy of the New Testament. That's exactly right. Yeah, the first copy that I had, I read it for the very first time, the Gospel of Mark, December of 1963. The Gospel of Mark was the one that penetrated my heart for the cause of Christ. And I mean, I could still remember reading that. You know, I wasn't reading the Christmas story because it was Christmas, but chapter 13 through the 16th, and I was so angry at God as I was sitting on top of the big rock below the village. I was so angry at God because I wanted a God so powerful to uh, protect me from the spirit world, but he's the God that allowed his son to be nailed on a cross. And I hated him to the guts. I said, why should I believe in you? And I shouted across the river and shook my fist in hatred of God. And I said, I will never believe in a God like you. And the Gospel of Mark, I threw it down to the rocks and shook my fist some more. And I shouted again. I said, I'll never believe. And left my Gospel down to the rocks. I started walking back to the village. But, you know, as I started walking back towards the village in there, as if God, the God of heaven and earth, reaching into my little heart, squeezing it and said, No, don't you understand that so much I love you? And you know, for the very first time, I understood what grace was all about, where the Bible says, For by grace. Man, I said, God, you love me that much? You would do that for me? (laughs) And there is no other thing that I could do but give you my heart and my life. And I said, Man, this is awesome. And I was new, like the Bible says, 2 Corinthians. 5.17, 5.17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, it's a new creation, all things have passed. Behold, everything becomes new. Man, I was new. Of course, this was the tradition of your fathers and your family to be worshiping the different spirits. Exactly. And, and so what was it like to leave that? I mean, what was the process? How much time did it take from the time that you started hearing God's Word, you started hearing witness and testimony of Jesus Christ, what he did for you. You must really need to know that the power of the Spirit of God, you know, was more powerful than the spirit world. And it was just awesome to be able to walk on through the, the places in there, the taboos, you know, you got a lot of places you can't play here, you can't go there, you can't touch that because of all the uh, the things that they use for worshiping the spirit world. But when I gave my heart to Christ, you know, I could walk in there, I could throw rocks where they sacrifice, I could walk up the place where they had sacrifice and stuff like that. There was no problem at all. But before that, I would have been terrified, I would have been sick. But, you know, that's where I found out the power of the the Word of God. How did your family start treating you or your friends and your neighbors once they saw that you were following a different God? Well, they were all kind of excited about that, and they were all also scared because I wasn't uh, obeying what the culture was saying and said, don't go there because you get sick over there. But then I went there 
But then the missionary also reinforced my faith in there by teaching me more about him. But then the the other thing, too, was I left the village in 64. I mean, uh, about three months after I met Christ in there and went down to the southern part of the Philippines in there. I've uh, been going back and forth to the village in there, and I can still remember my parents were providing a feast for me and uh, during the summer when I went home, and they were going to sacrifice this pig to the to the spirit world because before you eat them, you got to sacrifice. And I told them flatly, I said, Mom, Dad, I'm not going to be here if you're going to do that. But we can pray. We can ask the God of heaven and earth, and we can pray that the spirits will not bother us. And this is, okay, we'll do it your way, son, and we did. And they were not afraid after that. And it was just an awesome testimony to see that my parents and my brothers and sisters were listening and say, hey, we want to have what you have in there. It was exciting in there to see that the power of God was more awesome than anything else in this world. We're going to take a break from this incredible story of God transforming lives through the gospel. We'll return to this story in just a moment. You know, I really appreciate you, friend, tuning in to today's show. This edition of Mid-South Viewpoint was pulled from our collection of archives. The program with NARD was originally recorded back in 2009. You know, the true message of the church never changes. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, and it's for all peoples of all generations and of all nations. The fact that we are dead in our sins, hopeless and helpless, is a generational curse that began back with our parents, Adam and Eve. Now, this isn't a fairy tale. It's a reality. The only lifeline to break this bondage and pay the price is all by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. No amount of effort or works on our part will save us from eternal death. Jesus says in John 17:3, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Are you resting in what Christ did on the cross when he said, it is finished? He then conquered death by resurrecting from the tomb where they had buried him. Jesus also says in John 5:24, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death unto life. So the question now, are you striving or trusting? It's a gospel done, not a gospel due. If you would like to discuss more about eternal life and knowing Jesus Christ, contact us here at the radio station at 901-763-4640. That's 901-763-4640. Now let's continue the conversation on today's Mid-South Viewpoint. Now, also, Nard, you eventually came to the United States. You uh, wound up in Texas, Longview, Texas, where you went to Laterno College. Some folks might not be familiar with Laterno. This was a man, just a brilliant mind who God used. If you've seen these these land movers that move earth uh, by just tons, these big, big machines. God gave this man the vision to design, develop these machines, use the finances, I guess, uh, for that to build a college to train young followers of Jesus Christ who felt called to ministry to serve, learn how to be airplane mechanics, pilots, a variety of technical skills that were offered there for people to be trained and used back in ministry. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, I went to Latorno in 1971, and then the Lord opening wide the doors to go there because I wanted to be a missionary pilot. When that airplane that we built an airstrip in my village of Debagat in there, 600 feet long, 60 feet wide, and I had my first airplane ride March of 1964, and 
as far as I was concerned, I was terrified, and I said flying was for the birds. I didn't want to have anything to do with flying. I, mean, I can't imagine. I mean, here's a young here's a young man like yourself who's grown up in this very remote area. That's right. There's not even an automobile in your streets, is there? Exactly right. No roads, no electricity. Electricity even to this day, we still hike up and down the mountains, and uh, and then we go by canoes and stuff like that. But God had a different flight plan for me. It sent me to Laterno, opening wide the doors there. So I went there for two and a half years. Yes, R.G. Laterno had a, this uh, college. Now it's a university, Laterno University of Christian Liberal Arts with Engineering. Fantastic time I had in Longview. And after graduating from uh, Laterno, I went on to Moody Bible Institute and got my pilot training there and uh, graduating in 75. And I met my wife, Sandy, in 1972, and we got married in 76. And we joined Wycliffe Bible Translators in 1977, 32 years ago. And you know the joy of joining Wycliffe was returning to the Philippines on our first assignment in 1979 and delivering the first 500 copies of our New Testament back to Dibagat, my village. It was an awesome experience because I thought of and I said to myself, Lord, what if, what if the missionary said no, then I would never have had a chance to read the Word of God and also flying in the first 500 copies of our Bible back to my village in there. Take us back to what it was like when you were behind the controls of this airplane. You and your wife, you're flying into your home village. You've got the Bibles are loaded up. Share with me the emotion. What were you feeling well, like was, at that time? It was just really awesome. And I, I was packing, in fact, when my wife and I were packing the first 500 copies of the Bible in there, and I said, Lord, what if this missionary said no? What if his supporters all over the U.S. said, no, we don't want to support missionaries, you know? And I thought back and jumped back, and I said, I would still be in the village of the Bargas, worshiping the spirit world, because the Word of God would never have come in there. And then we loaded it in that airplane in there, and as I started the key in there, I thought of Bill Foster, the missionary pilot with Jars and Wycliffe that challenged me one day. He said, Nard, one of these days we will not be welcome in your country. you got to go learn to do what I'm doing so you can come back and fly. And I said to myself, me? I was born in a hut with a machete in my hand. Flying is for the birds? Plus it's too sophisticated. <laughs> and I actually believed that I could never make that. But you know, 32 years of flying, both airplanes and helicopters, I, I tell people, young people today, it really doesn't matter whether you're born in a hut a mansion or stable. When you give your life to Christ, he's the one that makes everything possible in there. And he was exciting in there. And as we got closer to the Bargat, you know, the river, the uh, river that the missionaries traveled for 25 years, I said, God, you could have drowned every one of them, and Wycliffe would never have sent any more missionaries to the village. But he protected them because he knew a little boy named Nard Pugia would return full circle to deliver the first 500 copies of God's Word to his own people. And I got on top of the airstrip, the 600-foot runway. I was trained to land in there. And, and then uh, about 45 minutes hike to the next valley is where I was born. And I flew over there, and half a minute later, I was circling that little tiny village. And down below, I could see coconuts after coconuts after coconuts. And underneath those coconut groves, there were three little tiny huts. And I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, that third hut on the right, you formed me in secret there. You plucked me out of there to become yours. And it was an incredible thought. And I said, God, this is all that you have done for me and for your glory, for your honor. So here you are, you're arriving back in your homeland, your home village, and you're seeing your family. Were your parents still alive at that time? Yeah, they were still alive. But the exciting part is when I landed in there on that airstrip in there, I taxied to the end, I I shut down and I 
I got out and my wife got out and our oldest son was just two years old and I got out and I went to the back of that airplane. I started unloading the boxes of New Testament and as I went for the second box, the Isnags come running up the hilltop to uh, the airstrip, but there were all my relatives, so I kind of ignored them. And and then I was about ready to put the second box next to the first one, and a woman picked up the first box and she placed it on top of her head to carry it to the side. And I looked, and it was my oldest sister, Emma. And I said, wow. I said to her, manang, meaning older sister. And she turned around, and I said to her, do you know what you're carrying? She said, oh, that's a box. i got to move it out of the way. And I said to her, hey, manang, those are New Testaments in our language. And man, I wished I could have had a camera to capture the moment, the smile on the face, the sparkle on the eyes as he moved uh, one leg out. And then she grabbed hold of the side of the other box and and then lifted it off her head and brought it down and literally hugged it with all her strength. And she said, are you serious? I'm going to have a copy of my very own Bible in our language. Now, before the translation of the New Testament, did the people there in the village understand how to read? Did they have to be taught how to read or a language developed from the translators? They did. Uh, they they learned in school in there. The uh, the missionaries taught the, uh, wrote some primers and books, and they gave it to the teachers at the school, and the teachers were the ones that taught the, the people how to read and write in their own language. So everybody pretty much... Uh, literate in there and uh, learn to read our own language in there. So that was exciting, except for the older ones, like my mother never went to school, and so she couldn't read, but uh, then the uh, the kids and uh, other people in there read to them that couldn't read it. So it was exciting to see that most of them could read it, and uh, we didn't have any problem with literacy except for the older people in there. And so it, the Word of God is just ex- What difference and change has taken place since that time? We're talking back in the early 1980s when the New Testament was first given to your home village there. Uh, Have you been back since? I'm sure you have. Yes, I have been back and forth uh, since 2001, and the church was born back in the 80s out there in the village in there, and God is at work even now today. In fact, today is one of the exciting things now is uh, the pastor in the village church, the Debagat Bible Church, is my nephew, Mark Pugiao. My older brother's son, he went to Word of Life Bible Institute in the Philippines. He's a pastor, and they just finished dubbing the Jesus film. It is going to be coming out in October. And God is at work all over the mountains in there, and they do outreach all over villages among all the Isnags in there. Is spirit worship still practiced today? Yeah, yeah. It's a, there's a church there, a thriving church, and they have three or three other different outreach in there. And Hiking up and down the mountains with the with the New Testament plus Genesis and Exodus included in there now. With they're doing Old Testament and exciting to see that the hunger for the Word of God among the Isnags plus the Jesus film is coming out pretty soon, dubbed in the language in there. And I can't wait to see it. I just saw the uh, the preview last week here at Jars, and I can't wait to see it uh, get done and to be to be in the hands of the Isnag people. You think of it, you know, the power of the. The uh, the vernacular media in there, like Campus Crusade doing, you know, in the language, is just exciting. Uh, glued to the television if they've <laughs> never seen it, and it's speaking in the, in the heart language. And God is at work among the people. And so I challenge people in America, you know, and, and uh, it's just radio, like you bought radio and, and stuff like Trans World Radio, Far East Broadcasting Company, uh, company and uh, HCJB, broadcasting all over the world for the cause of Christ. It's amazing. It is just amazing. It's just <laughs> phenomenal. 
Well, I can't tell you that you're excited about Christ and what he's doing in our lives uh, by his grace and sharing his love with people and bringing, again, his word through people that are dedicated, like Wycliffe Bible translators, jars, willing to fly those planes in. I mean, I mean, this was obviously one assignment. I'm sure you've been on many assignments. I mean, flying over jungles, I mean, that's a pretty risky thing. You have to know how to uh, repair your plane. Uh, did you ever have any close calls, problems that were you, you had to quickly land your plane for maybe some oh, yeah. type of... I had an engine failure, almost an engine failure one time, and found out I had one of my cylinders in there uh, fail and stuff like that in a jungle airstrip. So I had to dead stick it right on the airstrip in there, and then I found out the uh, one of the cylinders, and uh, we fixed it right there and flew it out. So those are some of the things. But you know, the grace of God is just so awesome in there. God protects us as we go and orchestrates everything in our lives. That's one of the things that, that God does. And He moves us and puts people in strategic way, you know, to uh, get His Word to the ends of the earth. Now, Nard, right now we're talking to you. You're in North Carolina, is that correct? I'm in North Carolina, near Charlotte, where JARS headquarters is. JARS is Jungle Aviation and Radio Service, and uh, we have airplanes and helicopters, computers, and stuff like that. You know, computer is another thing uh, that really revolutionized the work of Bible translation work. So if anybody hear about this, check it out. IT or JARS, J-A-A-R-S dot O-R-G is our, uh, our uh, website, or Wycliffe dot O-R-G, and it's just been exciting. And we need people, you know. We need. We have 2,200 languages yet to go that have never heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Almost 300, over 300 million people. And you know, the thing that I tell people is that Matthew 24:14, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then he said, Then I shall return. And I tell people, I said, Do you want him to return sooner? then we got a job we need to do. We need to accomplish that. Then he'll return. Nard Pugilau, thank you so much, my dear brother. God bless you for sharing your ministry with us. Well, thank you so very much, the Seed Company. They are doing a fantastic job of providing funds and stuff like that for national Bible translators. And they are the ones, places where no expatriates or no Americans or anybody can go, but yet these national Bible translators. They are the ones that God is using, God will use to bring about Bible translation work among the 2,200 some languages, and it's teamwork. And like you, Byron, thank you so very much for what you do for Jesus Christ on Radio Land, and thank you again for uh, taking the time to uh, to talk with me here in uh, North Carolina through uh, radio and telephone. So God bless you, Byron, and may he continue to use you for his glory and for his honor. Our pleasure, Nard. God bless you, my brother. Friends, thanks for listening to this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Have a great day. Bye-bye now. 